Hello, thank you for listening to Psyche Design. And today I'm going to be tackling a very big topic that is very important to me. And I'm likely just going to scratch the surface, but we'll see how this goes. Today, we're gonna to be talking about unity consciousness. I'm gonna define a little bit of what unity consciousness is, how that relates to personality type and type development. And we'll just, you know, introduce that topic and see how that goes. Um, and, you know, like any big topic that's important to me, I have been uh, ruminating on this for a really long time and it could be hard for me to know when to just open my mouth and get started on the basics. So let's just get into it. So first of all, people talk a lot about being woke these days or, uh, you know, buzzwords like spiritual awakening and raising your consciousness are becoming a lot more popular. And a lot more people are interested in what would it look like to raise my consciousness or be more woke? What does that mean and what does that look like? And there's a lot of criticisms about those phrases where people might become skeptical of what what do you mean that you're woke or raising your consciousness or going through a kundalini awakening perhaps there's a lot of skepticism there and a lot of that is because people don't know what that means these definitions are so vague and the reason why they're vague is because it's very all-encompassing people are trying to come up with one word to define something that is a very expansive process and is kind of the core of what life is all about. And if you're trying to find a word to define the origin point for what life is all about, that's very difficult to convey because we're using words here. We're trying to use a word to point to something, an experience that you might be having. But you know, words don't really quite do it justice. And part of the thing is, is people talk a lot about wanting to be woke, but people don't talk enough about, in my opinion, of what do they need to be woke about? What types of consciousness need to be awakened in you? What types of consciousness is already awake in you? Where are you coming from? What does that journey even look like? And perhaps if I was going to pick one thesis statement for what Psyche Design, the podcast is all about and the conversation that I'm trying to have about personality type is that um, Carl Jung was very interested in the unconscious and what that looks like and how it can become awakened and become part of the consciousness and he described the eight different attitudes of consciousness or the eight types of consciousness, uh, mental energies in the book, Psychological Types. And, you know, I believe that the, the, the conversation that I wanna have, sorry, it's hard for me to sum it up in a thesis statement. As soon as I said that, I was like, oh no, how am I gonna answer this? But um, basically, how do we use the knowledge that we have about personality type and about the functions and tie that more directly in with this path that we all are going down 
which is you can call it enlightenment. You can like you're trying to reach enlightenment. You can call it individuation. Carl Jung referred to it as individuation, the process of becoming the self. It doesn't really matter what you call it. It this whole like self growth process or the self growth journey is very popular these days. And a lot of that is because of, we're living in such uncertain times that that question, that deep existential question that kind of um, stirs all of us. And um, Kierkegaard talked about this as well. When, when you look at existentialism, it's like, why am I here? What is the point of being a human? We all know that there's some sort of point, right? And there's been many different cultures have tried to point to what this path is. And uh, how, how do we connect what, we're, what you are as a type with that process that you're going down? And um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm going with this. And now I'm going to just kind of jump into purpose of this uh, episode is that um, Carl Jung, when he was developing the eight cognitive functions, these are different types of consciousness. And that type, it's important to note that the way that your consciousness is directly shows you how your unconscious is because the two mirror each other. And um, a lot of what Carl Jung attempted to describe with the eight cognitive functions have been kind of um, watered down to be descriptive, more of just like descriptive psychology. And a lot of popular psychology today is trait-based or perhaps skill-based. And personality type is not trait or skill-based. A typology model is a living system. I, I have to do a whole other video about living systems. I've been learning a lot about them and um, typologist um, expert and typology expert, Linda Behrens talks a lot about living systems. So that's one place to look if you're interested in that. As a living system, that implies that there's a developmental path that the thing that you're referring to goes down. So if you were to try and define the type by any specific um, behavior or skill, it's not showing the full story because the behavior and the skill are, um, one can assume that you know the type pattern is the driving force that inspires the skill or the, um, or the behavior we're trying to strip away all of the external things that someone does moment to moment. And we're trying to look at this core. And that's why um, uh, Carl Jung, the way he looked at it is pretty different than uh, what we see in um, common psychology today because um, popular psychology is very Freudian based. And that's a whole other topic if you want to get into how Carl Jung and uh, Sigmund Freud um, had a kind of difference in opinion. But because a lot of psychology is just looking for descriptors, whenever um, the Myers-Briggs then went in uh, 
created this test and this instrument um, and a model of personality based on Carl Jung's cognitive functions, um, the, it, that became more popularized. The way that the MBTI talked about Carl Jung uh, was a little bit more palpable to the, um, at least in the Western world, that was very influenced by Freud's thinking. It was a lot more palpable because the instrument is a lot easier to measure. Um, it, it created this window or it created this way of communicating of what the core type is and then the behaviors that might be associated with the type. And you see, Carl Jung was not a huge fan of the MBTI because um, he saw it as just a way of categorizing people. And Carl Jung did not want the tool to be used as a way of categorizing people in the sense that he saw each of the eight functions as kind of a problem. I mean, he even refers to it as the problem of type. I'm trying to think of a word. Neurosis seems a little bit too strong I'm not quite sure if he would see it in that way, but the eight types of consciousness or the cognitive functions have a specific orientation to the unconscious, where if we are uh, gripping on that type of consciousness a little bit too firmly, then we aren't allowing the unconscious to come to light and we aren't allowing that natural developmental process, which he refers to as individuation. So if we were to look at type as a problem that, you know, either needs to be solved or could be solved, then we can approach uh, Carl Jung's eight cognitive functions by looking at the eight ways in which the ego is preventing your unconscious from coming to light. And thinking of it in that way, really ties what we already know about the 16 types and the eight cognitive functions. It really ties it in quite nicely to the idea of individuation and to the idea of um, spiritual awakening or enlightenment or increasing your consciousness or, you know, becoming yourself. Because if you understand that your um, superior cognitive function is inhibiting your growth in some way, and if you can sort of shine a light on where your inferior function is, then it's simply shining a light. That's all you really have to do. It allows this awakening energy to come through. And this is different than this is different than the whole idea in self-development today, because because people aren't because um, people are talking about getting woke but they aren't talking about what aspects need to be woke. And so there's all these ideas out there where people talk about ego death. They want to claim that they don't have an ego at all, which can lead to denial or it can lead to a loss of self or confusion. Or there's the type of self-development that's very influenced by capitalism and productivity where you are just trying to do more and more so that you can feel productive enough so that you feel 
worthy. Like you don't feel worthy. And so you're doing things so that you can feel worthy or complete or whole. Now using uh, Carl Jung's cognitive functions as a tool for, gro for growth has nothing to do with feeling incomplete and needing to add different parts um, to you because you're all, you're already there. There's nothing that needs to be put back together again. It's your awareness and your consciousness that just needs to be reminded that you're already there. So I think that talking about growth through this lens and using type as a tool, well, using type as a tool doesn't, um, not only does it, you know, show you where you are and kind of give you a map to go down, but it also prevents a lot of the um, ego validation that we see in um, personal development communities in which um, people have these really strong ideologies where they say, where they might really relate to one, uh, one ideology. They say, this is right. This is how one should be and everything else is wrong. And people will create whole ideologies around the type of growth that they did or maybe they're even creating a whole system that validates their dominant function and they um, claim to be growing but really they're trying to convince everybody else to do what they did you see that all the time because people it's very easy for people to look around and notice the differences of how people think in the sense that for example let me just give an example for me as an ENFJ, my dominant function is extroverted feeling. It's very easy for me to look around in the world and see the lack of extroverted feeling. It's probably the number one critique I have. If I look around, I'm like, where is all the empathy? Where is all the understanding from person to person? Why is it so hard to live in a community? Why are people not doing their part to make the human race the best it can be? But if my dominant function was introverted thinking, perhaps I would be more concerned with um, why is there no critical thinking? Why is everyone just trusting whatever, you know, science says or what the some sort of authority says? And why are people trying to infringe upon my freedom of thought? You know, we all when we're looking around the world are going to notice when other people are lacking our dominant function. And so it's very easy to think that growth is helping other people to understand your dominant function. I see this all the time with extroverted intuitives. So ENFPs and ENTPs with their dominant function of extroverted intuition. There's a lot of them in the self-help community where what they're helping people do is to see possibilities, which is an amazing thing to do, but then they don't necessarily grow in their ability to be grounded or embodied in their, in their physical self. And they instead think that they have the answer because they're helping everyone else see possibilities. Or you can see an ENFJ like myself, think that I'm helping everyone figure out how to love others. You know, I could do that. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that because everybody has a gift to share. But the problem that I see is when people think that they're done 
growing when they're really only focused on their sliver of reality. And reality is so much bigger than that. So that's a good segue to Unity Consciousness, which is the title of this podcast episode. So Unity Consciousness is a term that I hear thrown around a lot. I did a quick Google search before this to try and see the origin of it. Um, There was one blog that said that the origin of this uh, was from the Mayans, but I honestly don't know. I see it um, used all the time in New Thought and New Age uh, circles. Um, But, you know, unity consciousness in and of itself as a term, it kind of makes sense that what you're talking about is the unity of consciousness. So if you were to apply the concept of unity consciousness to uh, how Carl Jung talks about things, the psyche is the totality of all possible psychic components. And for someone to be, for someone to have unity consciousness, then that would be a person who is conscious of all of the psychic components. Unity consciousness is also sometimes referred to as God consciousness. Or I also would say that love would be a synonym of this. Um, Love is the power, in my opinion, of uniting consciousness. And um, you also might have heard this talked about as unity consciousness as being similar to the concept of infinite intelligence, um, which some people refer to as God. Personally, in my spiritual belief, I believe more in an infinite intelligence than I believe in an actual man in the sky. So, um, but the concept of unity consciousness, it is thinking of there being this collective mind or this all knowing, uh, it's, it's, that's why, you know, it's also referred to as God consciousness in the sense of if you were to imagine someone being conscious of every single possible psychic component, then wouldn't that be God, right? Like for those of you who are religious or spiritual in in any sense, to me, that makes sense. I mean, that's why, you know, most religions talks about God as being omnipotent, all seeing, all knowing. So, um, and you know, in the law of one, Um, unity consciousness is also thought of as being connected with the expansiveness of all life and so for those of you who are interested in that or like I I believe that um, that you know I'm the sort of person that might that it's helpful for me to reach for the moon and maybe land in the stars or reach for the I always get that confused because the moment I realize that that phrase was incorrect, I now see it as both ways. But anyway, have a big goal and then also know that you're probably not ever going to reach it in the sense that we are all human. I apologize for the noise, by the way. Hopefully it goes away soon. We are all human. We're not gods. So we're not ever going to be all knowing. But the power uh if you if you want to become more aware if you want the spiritual awakening if you want um to be more loving and to be more self-aware and to become an even greater version of yourself 
Um, think of the process as being where you are now as point A and then point B or like the as far as you could go being um, unity consciousness, um, being aware of the totality of all psychic components. So it's also important to, to realize, I, I can't remember where I'm reading this. This might've been something that Carl Jung said, or this might've been something that John Beebe said. I can't remember, but I'll just tell you my interpretation of it. And what I think is that um, this path of individuation, where we are becoming more conscious of the unconscious, and we're including more psychic components into our um, consciousness, that is what it means to be human, in my opinion, in the sense that um, animals do not have this sort of goal. Animals do not have the kind of thoughts that humans have. And I'm not trying to say that we're not animals, we are, but other animals, you could say, they don't have the kind of minds that humans have. And I believe that the purpose of our mind is to be more conscious and not to use our mind for harm. I believe that humans have a lot more to go when it comes to consciousness and development and that our species has a lot more to go or a lot longer to go. Um, I don't believe that the end of the world is near. I don't believe in being super cynical about our potential because I know from all of the people that I've met that there's a lot of people out there that are exhibiting consciousness that I don't have. And I know just how much of a sliver of the full picture I see and what I see a lot of other people see. And I, I, it's like, I just know and I believe that we're only tapping into such a sliver of our consciousness that now I believe we're being initiated as a society into, you know, love, more of unity consciousness, that power of love that allows us to incorporate more psychic components into our consciousness. And one note on consciousness to think about is that it, the definition of consciousness is the parts, um, the parts of the psyche that the ego is like able to see. So you yourself as a human, you have an ego and um, this journey of self-growth, it might seem really daunting to think that you can incorporate every single psychic component that's ever existed into your own um, consciousness. But that's the thing is that you can't, you can't beat yourself up for the parts that you don't see and you need to trust the process of life that every experience is granting you a new opportunity to incorporate more of the psychic components into your awareness. So every individual that you speak with, every relationship that you have is offering you an opportunity if you choose to take it to incorporate more psychic components into your awareness. That's the journey of being a human and 
that's the point of being a human. That's the point of the human experience, in my opinion, is that we're all walking down this path where in addition to just having um, super individuated bodies, we have very individuated or, or differentiated, I think is the better is a better word in this case, sorry. We have very differentiated minds with its own path to awareness. Um, and uh, walking down that path and becoming more aware than where we were before is I think the point of why we're here. And it's why we tend to experience so much happiness and joy and fulfillment whenever we're able to incorporate a new understanding into our own perspective or we're able to learn from an experience or a relationship. I mean, relationship, relationships are so important, like for happiness. I'm not just saying that as an ENFJ. Um, it's where all the, it's where all the drama of life, you know, occurs. It's because it's two different consciousnesses, I guess, um, clashing with each other. And you can also have that experience, um, you know, with anything you do. It's not just people, but relationships are a huge catalyst for that. So anyway, um, so I, the purpose of this podcast in general is that I want to redirect the way that we think about cognitive functions into this path. But this episode is kind of just opening up the idea of unity consciousness. It isn't really, it like you could think of it as a far out goal or an ideal that, or like a concept that you could keep at the back of your mind. It shouldn't be the standard that you're judging yourself up against in the sense that um, to really be living with unity consciousness 100% of the time, it's more of an ideal and a concept than it is, um, yeah, than it is a standard because we have to appreciate the point in which we're at. We have to appreciate like, that's what makes being a human fun is that we don't know everything, is that there is stuff in the unconscious. That's what makes experiences exciting and that's what makes people exciting. Uh, people that you meet, your loved ones. If we knew everything, then life wouldn't be nearly as interesting. So the fact that we have just a little bit of the entire psyche that we're aware of and that there's always more to learn that's that's the journey but don't be don't be um self-conscious about where you are because the fact that you don't know and the fact that there's this expansive um unconscious that you get to explore is so exciting and it's so fulfilling so i also wanted to tie in the um, concept of kundalini rising um you know, when, when I've been reading about the individuation process and also unity consciousness and trying to tie this together, it instantly made me think of Kundalini. So I wanted to share that. 
Um, Carl Jung talks about how with individuation, you, um, you don't have to do anything. The psyche will um, integrate the shadow in with the consciousness automatically, but um, allowing that process to occur is what you, I guess, have the choice. If you want it to happen faster or easier, it's when you allow that process to occur. It will happen whether you like it or not is kind of the idea. Um, I can give an example of that. Um, but before I give an example, I just wanted to share that the concept of Kundalini, um, I believe it's Hindu in origin. Um, the idea of it is that there is this feminine uh, or yin type of energy that is limitless and abundant that we all could tap into. And the energy is conceptualized of being um, coiled at the base of your spine. It's like this um, goddess type of energy that could be awakened um, if you so choose. And when it, it the, the thing that I thought was similar with Kundalini is that it does happen automatically. And the, the element or the, the idea in duality, if you're talking about femininity in that sense, uh, traditionally it's thought of as being um, receptive. Um, and, you know, I, I, th I think of femininity whenever I'm trying to boil down the archetype of femininity, of femininity and masculinity, I try and think about the womb and then sperm. And what does that mean archetypally? Because obviously the gender binary nowadays, um, it, it's so mixed up with, um, it's so mixed up with stereotypes that it's a little bit um, difficult to put your finger on. But if you were to think, if, if, if you were to think of feminine energy as having the same type of potency as the creative energy of the womb or of a black hole, that's the sort of energy that would be there for anyone to access at any given time. You just have to receive it. That, that's what I'm talking about here with Kundalini. And the interesting thing is that that is also very feminine is that um, Kundalini it's awakened, uh, and a lot of kundalini practices, it's awakened through tantra. And I know a little bit about tantra. I don't know that much about it. But the idea of tantra is um, manifesting through pleasure or using your, your body's pleasure, um, um, I guess, reactions and leaning into pleasure. And, you know, I'm actually in this course right now that's called tantric entrepreneurs that it talk it's been talking about um how do you use that idea of leaning into pleasure in your life in your business and everything not just with sex which is where tantra kind of originated and you know it's very difficult for people to lean into pleasure because the feminine the divine feminine has been kind of shamed and that divine feminine potential energy with all of us had it's had a hard time coming up to the surface in a society because a lot of our systems make it hard for that um, 
divine feminine potential to rise in anyone, whether you're a man or a woman, we all have this. It has um, nothing to do with your gender. And even when you think about world religions, um, a lot of the concept of God is um, some sort of masculine creator. If you think of the sperm as the archetype of um, something that's going out and getting, um, that's a lot of what we think of God. And, you know, um, even in the story of Jesus and Mary, people always talk about the son of God more than they talk about the divine uh, immaculate conception. Um, so that's a whole other rant. But my, my point is that this idea of Kundalini rising and you just have to choose and allow it and you can receive it. Um, it reminded me of what Carl Jung was getting at whenever he's talking about that individuation happens naturally and that you don't, so you don't have to worry about where you are in the process. You don't have to worry about if you're doing it right. Just by nature of being a human, you're doing it. So, you know, don't think of everything I'm talking about in this video or all of anything I'm going to talk about in future videos or episodes, I mean, as being like a, you have to do this or else, because I'm just commenting on the human experience. You know, we're all, we're all just having that experience. But um, so for example, you can either allow or not allow, or you can either allow um, the unconscious to come to light or you can resist it, but you cannot stop it. So oftentimes when you think about the shadow coming to light, it can manifest as different individuals in your life or different experiences that are triggering unconscious aspects of you. So this is just a random example from my experience. My inferior function is introverted thinking. And I have noticed a direct correlation in the type of comments that I get on my YouTube channel and how confident I feel about my own introverted thinking. It's almost as if critiques that I have gotten it feels as though they have served the purpose of triggering my own inferior TI to come to light. And the way that I feel about my own TI or about TI in general can kind of be, I, there's like these shadow manifestations that can come up where I'm either in life experiences that are forcing me to use more TI than I'm comfortable with, or I'm with individuals that are forcing me to use more TI than I'm comfortable with. Force is kind of the wrong word because they're all opportunities. But, and you know, um, Dave and Shannon from Objective Personality, if you're familiar with their system, they talk about um, uh, tidal waves. They talk about how um, your inferior function by not paying attention to it causes a tidal wave of chain reactions in your life where it's like the more that I'm not aware of introverted thinking, the more I attract scenarios that can usher that in or inspire me to use it. So for example, I, a struggle that I have with inferior introverted thinking is I can lack discernment or I can forget to be discerning. I can just jump right into the extroverted feeling um, connection 
that I might forget to listen to my discernment and I can get mixed up with people or situations that do not serve me. Or I can make a lot of excuses for certain individuals in my life because I am so connected with them that I understand why they're doing it. I have a hard time knowing um, how to set those healthy boundaries. But, you know, I can definitely see points in my life where I felt like the world was out to get me versus points in my life where I'm allowing those lessons to come to me and I'm grateful for those lessons. So if you feel like inner resistance, like the, I guess really this whole journey of growing your unity consciousness and becoming more of yourself has to do with, there's a practice involved. There's a day-to-day practice of how do you handle the opportunities for learning and growth that are thrown your way? And how do you approach the different psychic components that are you're perhaps not conscious of? How do you integrate them into your consciousness? Do you have resistance to them? Um, are you, or are you allowing it? Um, what was I gonna say? Um, oh yeah, and like le- the lessons, that's what I was gonna say, is that I have started to live my life by asking myself, what is the lesson here? every time I'm in a sticky situation and I will try, and this is just a me thing, but if it works for you, go for it. So I will try and see if I can learn the lesson prematurely to the experience. And if I can learn the lesson, then I might attract a different experience. That I think is a very NI way of looking at it. I know uh, Dario Nardi refers to introverted intuition as um, he, he defines it as transforming with a meta perspective. I, this is kind of one way that NI shows up for me is that um, I will try and learn the lesson before I get the experience to try and avoid the extroverted sensing experience. And um, it's almost like trying to add some sort of grease to the wheels of life, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, just trying to make it a little bit easier, trying to make the human experience just a little bit easier, trying to make the experience of integrating your shadow a little bit easier. So the last thing I want to talk about is that uh, Marie-Louise von Franz, who was um, a student and a friend of Carl Jung, who uh, wrote a lot about the cognitive functions and psychological types, um, I don't have a quote with me, but she had referred to the idea of that different, uh, different functions are more suitable for different scenarios and that you're essentially meeting the situation, like the situation in and of itself has a consciousness, even if it is, it could be an organization, it could be a person, it could be a moment. Um, you could even connect astrology to this if you want to think of moments having a consciousness. That's a whole other episode. Um, But you're meeting the consciousness of the situation with your own consciousness. And you're either going to, um, and really there's the idea of 
you could rise to the occasion and meet the consciousness with a consciousness that matches. And you can summon certain types of functions at will for what, um, what's required of the situation. Now, I believe that this is possible to summon functions at will because we all have access to all eight of the cognitive functions. However, that is, very, that is a very, very difficult task and requires a lot of practice with um, allowing the psychic components to come up as they come. And you have to really grease your gears, I guess. You have to really surrender and allow, you have to allow it. You have to loosen the grip of your ego and loosen the grip of your type code, essentially. Um, because we all have our blind spots, our weaknesses. We all have an inferior function that is going to get very triggered in particular if, um, if, it, if a situation triggers it. So it's not always easy to um, just summon any function at will, especially if there's a lot of pain there for you. Um, because um, not every function is strong enough to have the self-control to come up at will. But through consistent understanding and awareness, it becomes easier and easier, in my opinion. And also, uh, von Franz talks about the inferior function as being the gateway to the unconscious and that it is part conscious, part unconscious. And I believe that using your inferior function in tandem with your dominant function is um, a huge milestone in being able to explore unity consciousness or become the self. It's never, you're never gonna fully like you're never going to equalize your inferior with your superior function, but having at least some sort of access to it, like the light is at least shining on it and having it in your field of vision in some way, shape or form. It's almost like you've unlocked some sort of key. My mind goes to like Alice in Wonderland going down the rabbit hole or like opening the the, like the key that opens up to the garden in Alice in Wonderland was what my mind went to. But like, um, it allows you to see that there's more, but you're not done yet. It's like, but it kind of locks something into you where it makes it a lot easier to conceptualize. It, like, basically, the whole idea of summoning functions at will based on the uh, situation uh it's i almost want to say that your inferior function would be the one that is going to be most easily triggered by any sort of event but if you can somehow figure out a way to use your inferior function in tandem with your dominant um then your dominant can kind of protect it and it could kind of work as a team and there could be a connection there between the two to where um, your hero role can protect the inferior, know that they're on the same team. So if you're triggered, 
um, it's just a little bit easier. Um, you just feel a little bit more protected by your hero side, by your hero self. So we'll talk a lot about the different types of functions and how they show up. If you are completely new to personality type, thank you for sticking with me. It's difficult because a lot of what I'm talking about in this episode might not make sense if you're not familiar with personality type already. However, I think that this is the interesting stuff and this is the meat of why um, type is an interesting tool. And I hope that this can at least um, be intriguing to people that are new to it so you can understand why I'm so obsessed with this. Um, so um, yeah, because really I, I believe that this tool is integral for anyone who is trying to reach enlightenment, anyone on a spiritual awakening journey, anyone that is um, wanting to grow their consciousness. And I know that not everybody that is in the type community are going is going to be super interested in growing their consciousness or even like that idea, because I think that the, a lot of the problem with that, the community of people who are really interested in growing their consciousness is that they need a tool like this. They're, people are floundering. A lot of people that talk about being on the journey of growing their consciousness, they might be on this journey where they're allowing the new psychic components to come up, but they're not quite sure where their ego, where their ego is in the whole world of consciousness. A lot of people will, will reject the ego completely. So they don't even know where they stand in this whole deal. They don't know what, um, what aspect of consciousness is trigger is triggering them. They don't quite know what aspect of consciousness they need to do more of and what they need to do less of. And typically people are talking about growing their consciousness. Um, if, if you go down that route and you don't quite have something to ground you in your understanding, you might lean on your superior function even more as a security blanket because you've opened yourself up to this expansive world of the limitless psyche. You don't know where you're going. And that's really scary. That's why a lot of people in type will say that shadow work can be kind of dangerous and that you should focus on uh, using your supporting role or your auxiliary function first before you try and dive in there. There's a lot of people out there on their spiritual awakening journey that don't know what their type is. And they're trying to go on that journey and invite everything in. And it's very painful because they're inviting new scenarios in and allowing more. And they're like willing to grow, but they might not know how to interpret it. And so anyway, there's a whole bunch that I could talk about more that I mentioned in this um, episode, but that's kind of where my mind's at. I feel like, you know, I discovered personality type whenever I was 17 and I started going down my spiritual awakening when I was about 20. And so I 
didn't even start to get into the whole idea of growing my consciousness until after I already knew about the functions. And so it's been a, a goal of mine for a while to even talk about how the two interconnect because I've seen I've, I've seen the ways how in the type community, people might just be using the functions as descriptors to validate their ego and they aren't really going down that individuation journey that Carl Jung talked about, which it's okay if you just like the definitions of type and you are not interested in Jungian um, shadow development, that's totally fine. That's just not what I think type is for. Um, there, there's that. And, you know, I'm trying to go down this shadow development path and, you know, decrease my resistance and be more open to the different psychic components. That's what I'm trying to do. And then there's people in the spiritual community uh, that I connected with where they're going down that journey, but they don't, it's like, as I mentioned, my first episode, um, this is like a language to the psyche and having the language to the psyche can help you either like communicate that process that you're going through with other people. It can jumpstart your intellect and your ability to comprehend what's happening. Think about how much language has jumpstarted the human race and how much language jumpstarted your development from when you learned to talk from before you knew how to talk. And you know, having a language for the psyche allows you to interact with the psyche in a different way. So it's all, so it's all, it's all important, but anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if there's anything that this spurred in you that you think that you have questions about, um, let me know. And I appreciate you listening um, this episode, if you're watching on YouTube, is also available on Spotify and um, iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, thank you for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day.